Stay tuned for Wine Crush, Northwest Wine Stories Uncorked. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. Thanks for joining us here on Portland Radio Project. Today, host Heidi Moore will guide us through the stories of two local winemakers. The first comes from a small production winery that strives to make the finest German and Alsatian-style wines in Oregon. The other tells the tale of a new vision for a previous estate that involves enriching the local community. So first up and joining us today is Barnaby Tuttle from Teutonic Wines. And we've been kind of chatting about where you're going to start your story, but you just need to take it away and see what happens. Oh, okay. Hello. Thank you for having me. You know, that's it's my mind is very diffused and it's hard for me to make something tangible out of this question. But I guess if you had to have a hard concrete fact, it'd probably be when I hustled a job waiting tables at a uh, fine dining restaurant in Portland, and they took me aside and encouraged me to take wine classes because I didn't know anything about wine. And uh, the classes blew my mind. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. I thought wine was this pretentious, elitist nonsense, and we did blind, silent tastings, and I was absolutely blown away. So was that kind of the beginning of the love affair, so to speak, with wine? I mean, it was kind of the beginning of where it all started. Absolutely. Yeah, because you and I had some crazy conversations about, well, lots of things. But we really got into the food and wine. And you sent me home with the most incredible bottle of wine. I made Thai food with it that night. So let's kind of back up a little bit and kind of talk about your background before that. Because you were not a wine guy. No, not at all. Yeah. You know, I, I think that I had a very unusual upbringing. I grew up in Portland and my dad was a television journalist. He worked for Channel 8 News. And then I lived with my mom in North Portland, which was a little bit more, you know, working class, a little more rough around the edges. My mom, a great woman, you know, college educated. I don't want to say that she wasn't, you know, but I, I definitely, you know, I, you know, I went to rough schools and, you know, see my share of interesting things happen in my childhood. And I got to see the world from both sides which I think was a really good experience base. Washed dishes in restaurants through high school, actually even a little after high school, and back at the house, that sort of thing. Oregon Ironworks out in Milwaukee, and also uh, Wildcat Auto Wrecking. And that's when I came back to uh, work in restaurants. And this time I said, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to wait tables because I want to make more money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of where the money is typically made as far as the restaurant's concerned. I love the fact that you have such a blue collar type upbringing coming into the wine world because a lot of people do come from a science background or they come from something else, but you're coming from a completely different side and more from the food side mm -hmm. than anything else. So let's kind of talk about that food again, because that was a big passion point for you when we were chatting. Yeah. I like to cook. I like to make things. I love really rustic, wild game, pate. I'm not afraid of organ meat. Super respectful vegetarians, though. I don't want to say any of that stuff. But I do wonder why, you know, people that feel they're carnivores, they don't want to look at the head. They don't want to butcher it. They don't want to have anything that tastes like meat. Oh, look, there's a chicken strip. There's a hamburger. I mean, the real joy for me is, you know, eating a blood rare duck breast or, you know, making mousse with the liver and kidneys. 
of some wild animal and then being able to pair that with a wine and spending, you know, three days in the process. It's, it's an art on every level. I mean, both on the food side and the wine side and, and really in the pairing too is, uh-huh. is very, um, you have to have a mind and an eye for it. Yeah, I think all our interests are really interconnected and, and it's really easy to compartmentalize. This is food, this is wine, this is music, this is art, this is a guy driving a truck. But I, I think the, to really look at how the world works, all these things are interconnected and it's up to us to draw the connections, the conclusions and find out what it means to us. But I don't really see anything that exists separate from one another. Maybe that makes me a little crazy. It makes you interesting. Okay. I don't know about I don't know about crazy, but it makes you interesting for sure. And I love the fact that you look at everything from such an obscure and an abstract eye, um, because it really does. It makes it interesting, not weird. Yeah, but you know, if we don't continually to be inspired and find new meanings in everything we do, then you know, then I'm going to be like Mike Love with the Beach Boys singing "Surfer Girl" the rest of my life. You, you know, the the candied mushroom that I gave you. Right now, that's my favorite wine that I ever make, and that's a great thing. But if that is the best wine I ever made, and that's and I'll talk about it in 20 years, that's kind of a drag. Well, I want to talk about that wine. We're going to pause right here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about your wine because you have a crazy setup. You have cool vineyards, and you do some neat stuff with your wine. So let's put it on hold. We'll come right back. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. We uh, left off talking about vineyards and wine and whatever else, and you've mentioned this candied mushroom white wine. I've mentioned it. You've mentioned it. So let's actually describe what this is. And kind of go into your wines because they are, they're different. You have a different spin on things. Do you want me to explain what the wine is or do you want me to explain the inspiration for the wine and then Paul Harvey, the rest of the story? Whatever toots your horn. Okay. So um, let's talk about MSG and umami. So a lot of people think they're allergic to MSG. It's a natural occurring thing. It's almost everywhere. It's if you slow roast meats, vegetables, Parmesan cheese mushroom, soy sauce, fish sauce. And a lot of these ideas about MSG being unhealthy were uh, racist cultural stereotypes that started, I think, during World War II. I'm not positive on that. And David Chang at Momofuku has been taking fungus and fermenting it. I don't understand the exact science of what he's doing. And I kept thinking about that over and over, and I was really fascinated. And I got some Riesling that was covered 100% in botrytis. Botrytis is a type of fungus that covers the fruit and concentrates flavors and sugars. And it can make good dessert wines, but it also can make problematic wines, especially with red wine. And I decided to run with it. And it wasn't super ripe. It was what the Germans would call cabinet or just probably, you know, average ripeness for Riesling. I crushed it, soaked it with the botrytis for four days trying to get as much flavor from the fungus, as much of those enzymes as possible. And we fermented it in barrel with wild yeast, which we uh, culture from the vineyard. It's called Pied de Couve. You go to the vineyard with a sterilized five-gallon bucket, smash a bunch of fruit, lit it, kind of like making a sourdough starter. So we had this wild culture that we'd made from the vineyard because I feel the idea of terroir, wine tasting like the place it's grown, is not just a single place, but it's a biology 
and is your ability to include as many of those factors as possible. So four days skin contact with the fungus, press it off, fermented in barrel, a lot of batonage, which means stirring the, the lees. And then we allowed the wine to get, develop a film yeast, which is another type of fungus that grows on top. And then we had stir that in like pancake batter once a month or whatever. And the idea was just as much, as many types of fungal properties in concert with each other. And I really feel I need to send this to a laboratory because I'd like to know absolutely that it's MSG, but the wine has the impression of saltiness in the finish. Mm -hmm. And as you know, it doesn't really taste musty, which was a huge surprise. I thought with all that fungus, it would taste like a basement. And it doesn't. It doesn't smell like a basement. It doesn't taste like a basement. It was fantastic. It's super different mm -hmm. because it's not like a normal Riesling or normal wine. It does It does have that umami kind of characteristic, whatever that means. Yeah. And, it's, and I do want to say that, you know, the whole natural wine thing, which I feel I'm part of, um, I think that because my wines aren't cloudy necessarily or don't have the... Uh, you know, the reduced aromatics or volatile aromatics, people think, oh, you're not natural. But this, all this ties into nature. But I consider myself the scientific wing of the natural wine movement, or as I like to say, hashtag natty, not nasty. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, gotta love it. Gotta love it. So you're kind of known for Alsatian type wines, and you're, I think you're white almost more than anything. I mean, mm -hmm. everything I see from you is very white-driven, very Riesling-driven. Is that where your heart lays? Well, as I got into wine after I took those classes, very quickly I discovered I like wine from colder places. I like really nervy acidity, lower alcohols. And I also, I, I think it depends on our palate. Not everybody's different, but for my palate, I can taste the terroir a lot easier on wine with less extraction. And so naturally, you gravitate towards what you want to drink. And a year later, after that class, I was the wine buyer at this restaurant. I invited an importer to come in, Avob Mosler. He brought in 14 Mosler Rieslings, and it blew my mind. I mean, it tore my brain apart. And I went home that day and told my wife, I'm going to quit my job and learn to do that. And I want to talk more about that, but we got to just take a short, just little snippet of time, and we're going to come back and talk about more wine. Cool. You're listening to Wine Crush, one of our locally produced podcasts at Portland Radio Project. Get in touch, discover, listen at prp.fm. So I interrupted you talking about these Alsatian cold-weathered, climated wines, and I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to make sure that we mention where your vineyards are because, one, you have a cool one in your backyard, which is not normal for downtown Portland. And you have some cool sites that you're utilizing for your wine. So let's start with the wines that you're doing and make sure that we talk about the vineyards that you're sourcing and what you're doing in your yard. Sure. Um, so yes, I planted a vineyard in my yard in 2002. And it was great because I, was, I had the OVS book, Oregon Vineyard Supply. And I learned to build the trellis and plant the grapes and how to manage them. And it's also kind of like having a little bonsai forest. Like you have a stressed out day, you can go prune and spray and do your little things. But we had the opportunity, our good friend Gisela Green allowed us to plant at her farm in Alsea, Oregon. So to my knowledge, this is the only coastal Pinot in Oregon. We still work with the fruit. And then we have another vineyard off of Stafford Road in Wilsonville. And on a cliff. On a cliff. It's all rock. There's no soil. 
when we planted the new Riesling block, we had to use a jackhammer to get those plants in the ground. And it's about 60% grade, and it ends in a 150-foot sheer drop. And we had to build a fence down there to keep us from falling out. Which you showed me the picture, and that's like a death by vine if you're not watching what you're doing and you fall off the cliff. I mean, that's it's intense. You, you know, we looked at that area, which is now the Riesling block, for years, and we always joked about planning it, but we figured it would be impossible. But the family that from the Mosul Valley that taught me to make wine, they were there, were drinking some beer and like, Bonnaby, just make it. This is nothing. Just make it. And so next week we started making it. So how long has that been planted now? Uh, 13. So you're sourcing fruit off that? Yeah, for sure. So that's part of your lineup. So is everything yeah. that you're doing a state or are you buying some? No, that's a small okay. percent. I work with about 14 more vineyards. And ideally the vines are older vines. I look for colder sites higher elevation, dry farmed, and a lot of South Valley. I love the fruit, you know, Junction City area, Eugene, but I'm open-minded. Anywhere I can find cool Alsatian, German varieties, elegant wines, I'm super open. So other than the Riesling and the umami wine that we talked about, what else are you doing? I made a wine called Seafoam, which was a white Pinot. Actually, it wasn't as white as I expected. It had a little color. But I was trying to create the expression of Muscadet from Pinot Noir. So fresh acidity, a little laziness, salty finish. Uh, did not go through ML, but bone dry. The oyster wine. And we do a lot of uh, fill blends. We do one called Sprockets, which is a single vineyard, Shoy Reba, Hoxel Reba, Pinot Noir blend, white Pinot. Um, my Rieslings, of course, Gewürz Demeanor. Doing Gunnar Feltliner this year for the first time. Super stoked on that. That's a lot. I mean, that's... I make that's, 25 different um, wines a year, roughly. Holy cow. You didn't tell me that. That's I cra- forgot. That's crazy. <laughs> There's a lot of things I didn't tell you. I can tell you other things too. Okay. We need to make a date and I'm coming back and we're actually going to taste through all these well, We babies. need to do some fishing or something. Oh, well, we're going to do rules. We're going to do that too. Cool. So you bring the wine, I'll bring the fish and the boat. So that's... Okay. So we need to make sure we are telling people where the tasting room is and where to find you. Sure. So I'm at a 3303... 20th Avenue and Southeast, basically like a little ways off Powell on 20th Avenue on the South side. We're open seven days a week um, through September, which means nobody's going to hear this. We do a seafood Sunday event, big cookouts, um, super chill environment. You do live jazz, we spin vinyl and it's a wine bar, but I really want to have a tavern kind of dive bar vibe. Sometimes you'll catch me there. I'll be working on my muscle car in the parking lot. You know, it's uh it's a bastion of old Portland. I love it. So I, I'm going to cut you off there because you and I could talk for hours, but I know you and I have a dive burger date somewhere that you've told me about, and I'm coming back to drink wine. Let's and, do it. And I will sure. take you fishing, I promise. Cool. So thank you for joining us, and we'll talk later. Oh, thank you very yes. much. Okay. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Let's meet our next guest today, Sarah Javanji from Archer Vineyard, one of my new favorite people. I'm so glad you actually agreed in to come out because thank you for having me. Because it was a little bit of a push. It was. It was a little bit of a push. So um, I want to start with the fact that your last name is not Archer. The vineyard is not named after your family and you. So let's kind of start there. 
And then we'll move on to really what your family is doing and who they are. So my name is Sarah Javanji. My family actually moved to Oregon in the in the early 90s and took over Archer Vineyard in 2005. So the history there was um, Don and Grace Archer had planted the vineyard in 89. And we have 30-year-old Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir vines. And my father's background is in architecture. And my mother was actually a um, PhD professor at Portland State. So naturally, being that we came from different places in our background, uh, we had a vision for coming into Archer and sort of honoring their respect for the land and the hard work involved in the industry and have since evolved it to be a tasting room and a custom crush facility. And yes, and also this estate vineyard that we're honoring. Which I love it that you guys are actually honoring who they are, the hard work they put into it, and really kind of running with it, giving it that homage that they deserve and they need. But your guys' background, all of you, is very interesting. Right. So my father is actually from East Africa, from Kenya, but he is Indian in ethnicity. And my mother, by contrast, is from uh, the northeast of England and uh, has a background in social work. So there's this purpose-driven side of our family and also this multicultural element of us coming in and kind of creating this community space and honoring that the design and the view and the people that come there are as important as the sort of quality of wines we're producing in this boutique winery. And also that we're transparent with our um, customers and the way we treat our property and the processes for making the wine. And also that we're trying to be more sustainable with some solar panels and moving in that direction. What I loved about you was you reminded me a lot about me because growing up on a dairy farm, I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want anything to do with farming. I wanted to get as far away from it as I could. And you were very similar in the fact that you kind of grew up in this wine thing and you're just like, forget this. I'm out. Right. I don't want anything to do with it. And now you're back. So I came in about two, just over two years ago, and it was very much in some ways, um, a resistance in my own heart because I had all of these dreams at a young age that didn't really align with the idea that at my stage in life, when I was just approaching my college years, they took over this grand new property. So I had to kind of work through some of those things, like the fact that the grapes are going to keep producing every year and we've got to kind of figure out what to do with all these inventories. And the property that was at one point just our residence was now a public space to come and share um, an experience with family and friends and kind of gather people people together around us living in this beautiful slice of heaven. So I think what happened was when I did get back into the space that I wanted to be involved with my family, knowing that I like to be with people kind of captivated my soul in a way that said wine brings people into the space that we've created. But my passion for sharing our joy is what's kind of kept me and toned me and grounded me into the role that I've created there. Definitely. It's really cool seeing you in your element now. Because I mean, when I stopped in, you know, talked to whoever the gal was that was working in your tasting room, and you kind of entered with this presence. I mean, it just, it was just this beaming ray of light that was like, welcome to the space. You know, we're so glad you're here. Let's drink up. Let's have a great glass of wine. Yeah. So my father's um, legacy in creating this kind of this room that has the light and the space for people to be together has given me an opportunity to allow my vision now to say that when I create purpose-driven events and um, industry nights around bringing people together for, for some cause, we can all use the space he's created to share that passion, but also celebrate that we all come from a different place in the world and we all have a different take on what we want to add to this. 
And so being open-minded to say, hey, whoever walks through this door, it's like the field of dreams, build it and they will come. You kind of honor that they show up on time, you treat everyone the same, and you just give your heart every day. And what comes back is tenfold for me, definitely. Which it's beautiful to hear something like that, because that's not the way everybody feels and thinks. And so thank you for, share, for sharing yeah, that. Yeah, thank and you. We're going to talk about some wine because you have some family history that's part of your wine bottles and your labels, but I don't want to go there quite yet. So hold on. Hey, thanks for listening. Why not head over to iTunes and write us a review? We'd love to hear from you, and it helps others find out about our show. For new episodes of Wine Crush and to discover other PRP podcasts, check out the PRP Podcast Co-op at prp.fm. We left off talking about wine and kind of hinting about the fact that there is some family history involved in the wine, which is really ties back to the labels. So I really want to just talk about that because the label on that one bottle, which is, is it the Pinot Gris? We do one single wine that would be representing our family's history that's separate from the Archer Vineyard brand, which is honoring the Archer family and the property that we are um, now residing on. And so the the wine that stands out against all the other labels is this gorgeous ivory-colored uh, label with a ruby ring, and it sort of represents the connection between the Indian culture and now this current story of my father being involved in this gorgeous um, Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir property. So the intention of his thought was if we can do a Pinot Gris that pairs really well with our cultural kind of uh, standalone staple curry and rice and very much uh, garam masala, cumin, those uh, Indian spices, then the wine would also be something that would honor the foods that he's naturally drawn to in cooking and also um, celebrate his family history. So we have a what's been now driven to be called the Sharu Pinot Gris, which is my grandmother's name. It means lioness. And so the representation there of her being the matriarch, him being sort of the sixth of seven siblings coming over to the United States with, you know, his wife who is British and representing this multicultural moment in history of of our lineage. And then also me being the only daughter in a family that has these three sons that are all very dynamic and different. And I've kind of become the glue that's keeping all of these elements tied together. This is the one that we've really become famous for to really go uh, intentionally with spicy foods and and some curry elements. And uh, one special thing that would I would say want to mention about the way it's produced is it's gris that's both aged in French oak and stainless steel. So there's a little bit of roundness and complexity that I think is um, special and connects all of those different things. I love hearing all those adjectives because when we originally first talked, you're like, I don't know much about this wine stuff. I'm just kind of new to it. And everything you just said was so eloquent and so beautiful that you should really, really give yourself some credit for really knowing what you're talking about. Well, and that's a blessing to hear because in my sort of position in taking on this family business, it's this balance between working with the winemaker who's producing up to 35 cuvées in a year between four or five brands, us being one of them, but also his other custom crush clients, and seeing that real estate of our property being used for all these different projects that he's sort of involved in. And then my personal investment in honoring that the tasting room and the experience of our customers coming in would be represented by my family's sort of generosity of heart. And then also the uh, idea that anything that we have that we 
successfully accomplish on the property has to be kept in line with the idea that the family itself that lives there wants to sort of um, keep safe the liabilities of making sure everyone leaves in a safe way, knows the highway dangers, and kind of include that moment to say that if you're here enjoying time with your friends and family, we also want that to extend beyond when you're visiting our tasting room. So that's kind of where my staple of my energy has been drawn to is saying, hey, there's a balance of production, the customers coming in, and really being good to my parents. And that's where I've been able to shine. That's really actually beautiful. I, I really love that. I love when you have this beautiful family dynamic that has multiple dynamics with it because your brothers are all very different than you and your parents are very different than all of you. And so to be able to come together in this one space that has this one kind of eccentricity in the middle of it with it, what is wine and you be able to kind of revolve around it and really create this wonderful culture that you can share. And it's been fun to share our history and sort of our non-traditional immigrant story of how we've ended up in wine country. But it's also been really neat to say, hey, as the second generation bringing my vision in and celebrating that we're all unique and different and within our family, we're really getting to do a lot. I want to talk a little bit more about wine because we've we got stuck on the Pinot Gris in your family, which I is amazing. But there's more things that you guys do. So let's come back and talk about the Pinot and the other projects. That Sounds good. Going as well. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We left off talking about the estate wines. So you have a lot more going than just the Pinot Gris. In fact, we had the rosé yesterday when we were out adventuring in Oceanside, and we're so lucky to come upon some Archer wine where we were at. So tell us a little bit more about what you have as far as wines, and then I want to go into the tasting room and some of what you're doing up there, because you have a lot of cool stuff going on. So the estate property is really about honoring that the Archer family planted these vines as a way to create their future investment in the land. Their history was an equestrian facility on the property. So knowing that they had sort of spent their last few years and their lifetime working to create this vineyard, uh, most of what we do in terms of our production yearly is from this estate property that features the 30-year-old Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir. We're really famous for our Pinot Gris Rosé, which is much different than some of the trendier rosés. It is dry, no sugar added, over 14% alcohol, and very crisp and refreshing and beautiful summer sipper. So that is by far for the community that comes out in the summer months, the go-to most popular wine to purchase. And for our traditional Pinots, we are so blessed to have uh, the six and a half acre property on site, but also to source some amazing fruit from lower elevations in Hopewell, Oregon, and also from John O'Lennox property uh, at about 350 feet elevation in the Dundee Hills. And then we do one Pinot Noir blend, which is kind of a mixed bag and, and involves some of these offsite fruits that we've blended together, but it has also taken on sort of a life of its own and become something that's really approachable and fun for our out-of-state customers, I'd say, often to come in and say, well, we don't really know about Pinot Noir, but we want to be introduced to it. And this is something that's very approachable and features some of those more delicate light notes. So we've got you know something for everyone going on. You really do. And you don't really see a lot of wineries taking the Pinot Gris so seriously and doing so many 
different varieties of it. And so the rosé is just, it really is beautiful. And it was, it truly is a summer sipper. It was so great yesterday. In fact, we didn't finish the bottle. I'm not really sure what was wrong with this, but I sent it, sent it home. So your tasting room as a whole has this beautiful artwork in it, and you have some great events going. So what's going on and where do we find you? So the tasting room is just at the gateway of wine country, 99 West, heading out of Shorewood. We're on the left-hand side um, as you're just approaching the downward slope into Newburgh, kind of across from the Rex Hill folks. And we're on Old Parrot Mountain Road. So you can come in 11 to 5. It's Thursday through Tuesday. We take one day off a week on Wednesdays. And during the fall season, we really invite folks to come out and see the production facility. We have an amazing observation deck that kind of gives you a bird's eye view of everyone involved in the winemaking. And that's a special moment for you to be kind of part of the story of the wines that we're producing for the following year. And then we always invite you to keep coming back out as the spring and summers approach. We have a maple tree that kind of shady uh, covers over our deck and the view facing west is just killer into wine country. And it's really a great event space. So Off Harvest is a great place for a party. It's a great place for a lot of different things. Yes, we're so blessed having the architect in the family, my father being so invested in creating this amazing experience for everyone that joins us. It can seat about uh, 50 to 70 indoors, which is amazing for the winter season. We also welcome outside food. There's no reason to have to um, sort of plan your day around where you can get lunch in wine country. Just bring your snacks in and bring the kids in all ages, and we're happy to welcome you. We have a changing table in the bathroom, so there's no need to change your baby's diaper in the trunk of the car. And, uh, you know, it's this great space where we say all generations belong together and bring your beer drinking friends. We have an amazing selection of beers on tap. And it's just this amazing um, opportunity for you to say, hey, we're heading into wine country. And as we're approaching sort of the Dundee and the heart of the valley, we can stop and get something just closer into town. That was wonderful. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me and coming in because I know it was a little bit of an arm twist. Appreciate you. Okay. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us for the 12th episode of Wine Crush Season 2. Have a great weekend and we will see you at the bottom of the glass.